Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. And welcome to the Asian Cinema Fun Club, episode 83. I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, everybody. Tonight, we look at Wonka Wise, Fallen Angels, the sequel of sorts to uh, Chunking Express, a film that we covered way, way, way back on episode 5, I want to say, um, and now we finally get round to covering its uh, sequel of sorts, but more on that later, as we, it's time to ask, as always, what you've been watching, and Stephen, since the last episode, what has holding, been holding your interest, if anything? Um, if anything, <laughs> um, no, a couple of things, um, one's just a continuation of last time where I said I was watching the uh, Anita Marie biopic thing on illegal Disney Plus. Um, just a couple of episodes in, very, you know, not much more to say really. I'm learning stuff, but I also re- realise it's a potentially quite a sanitised biopic. But it's very, very good, very well made, and I hope it comes to proper Disney Plus or something at some point. Um, the other thing I watched is, I'm just trying to remember, <laughs> no, I do know what it is, so going back to a sort of previous episode, I watched the sixth Lone Wolf and Cub movie, White Heaven in Hell. Have you watched the ones in between? No. So you just skip from one all the way through to six? I just randomly That's, stuck, a, stuck a pin in it. Again, you just like, you skipped over like Baby Car at the River Sticks, arguably one of the greatest of the series as well. Oh, I have seen, I have seen some of them. I just haven't watched them okay. all in, in, I couldn't tell you. Obviously we watched the first one together. Yeah. And I have seen at least one or two of the others okay. over over the years, but just maybe not realising that what they were part of. But no, I just I like the sound of White Heaven in Hell, and I liked sort of started watching it, and I liked seeing it in snow, even though that really doesn't come to any fruition to at the end of the film. No, well, um, we get to see <laughs> sledding ninjas. With skiing, yeah, skiing ninjas, ninjas, sledding ninjas. Um. So what it what it appears is uh, th- there's been four films in the meantime, but the story's pretty much the same. The old fella <laughs> is still sacrificing his children to try and get revenge on some bloke and losing. Sorry, some bloke, you know, the lone wolf, the executioner. I can't remember his name, but you know the story's exactly the same. He's sacrificing his family. He's sacrificing thousands of men that seem to die. I assume this happens in every. Every iteration of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and, and and you just think, if you just let it lie, he would have been much better off. However, this one this one's got lots to enjoy. It's got a whole fifteen minute sequence with a and there's gonna be spoilers here by the way. Um a fifteen minute sequence where he tra- his daughter goes through training with some dagger skills and jumping on head skills. Um only for her to die within three seconds of meeting our hero. <laughs> 
So that was a waste of time. Um, we, but, but then he finds a bastard son who's part of a cult who dress rather like the Ku Klux Klan. I do, I do know that's not what it is and that it is sort of a Taoist headgear. But he's in, like, in charge of a cult. And he goes after them and they have a sort of a big fight but they agree not to fight. And then the bad guy goes home, tries to rape his sister and then his dad stabs him in the back. Like, crazy, crazy incest murder shit going on. But that, you know, the film's just full of this. It's full of quite boring stuff as well. There's a lot of plodding around. And then it has this spectacular ending, as you say. Back, they go in the snow and there's baby carts with machine guns taking on ninjas on skis and sleds and... Obviously, they all get beaten up because they're too busy skiing and sledding and can't really use any of their weapons. But you know, I'm being a bit mean to it. It's a, it's it's you know, it's a pop samurai movie. It's a lot of fun. It's ridiculous. Um, although it's the sixth film, the series doesn't really end the story. It's a shame they. Uh, I didn't make a seventh or something to end it. I guess the maybe the interest in the in the series had waned by then. But it's fine. But it's it's just not a lot different to the first one we saw. Um, but you know, I'm knocking them off. It was good. It was good. It was good. Just easily lampoony, lampoonable. I really wanted to bring the films to the show at some point. I wanted to work them into our rotation because I do think that they all have their own individual uh, sort of quirks that make them all sort of stand out. So it's while there's obviously the feeling of this wash rinse in blood cycle mm. that um, we seem to be on it uh, each one of them do have like the little moments that help them stand out I mean certainly I, yeah, everyone has their sort of favourites I mean At the River Sticks is really good Land of Demons as well is also really good as well um, and ah I've seen Land of Demons that's the other one I've seen yeah because I, I, re- I reviewed that because that's how I've got them I've got them as a pseudo online box oh, set right. for reviewing for Eastern Kings I keep saying by Demons the Criterion one, one but I've yet to get that together so no for, for once i haven't bought this but i i did get access to all the the screeners for the review which is and i thought oh, you know what i've had these for years Let, let's yeah. start watching them nice but, but yeah what about you what have you watched uh for myself just a couple of things this uh this time around uh kicking things off i checked out crazy thunder road uh which has recently been put out by third window films uh first time it's been released outside of japan this is a 1980s biker flick which the selling is like japan's mad max which is really a, a big sort of miss sell really because it's nothing like mad max if anything it's more like water hills warriors um and it's not post-apocalyptic it's pre-apocalyptic but you know these things aside um basically you have this biker gang who are one of many biker gangs that are currently roaming the industrial estates of Tokyo. Um, the leader, Ken, has decided that he's going to retire and settle down with his barmaid girlfriend, leaving his number two to try and keep the gang together. And he's a kind of a hothead. And uh, basically, it follows uh, the gang as they try to defend their own not only against the other biker gangs but also against this military sort of police that are coming in and about basically about these guys these young kids trying to find their way it's the student film of 
Gakuruki Ishii. I'm not sure that's a name that stands out to yourself at all. I think I should know who it is. Okay. He would go on to direct uh, Electric Dragon, 80,000 Volts, and Bear City. Right. I wonder if that's his real name, because Ichi means one. <laughs> Ichi. <laughs> yeah, I-C-H-I, yeah. Uh, I-S-H-I. Oh, okay, different, different. Okay, yeah, but it's probably his real name then. Sorry for besmirching you. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, this is... There's a lot of interesting things happening here, but the pacing's pretty awful. And at the times the plot becomes a little confused, but it does have these sort of standout moments. My other main gripe as well is the fact that these bikers are basically a bunch of greasers, the most hated of the subgroups. I think they're up there with Teddy Boys as the most awful uh, subgroups out there. So uh, basically, you look like a bunch of guys who couldn't get into a Grease revival cruising around the streets on motorcycles, which is good. Um, there's some fun brawling in here, but ultimately, I was, you know, I just didn't do anything really for myself. And I was kind of relieved the fact it's on Arrow Player at the moment. So I didn't uh, obviously end up with discs that I probably wouldn't be returning to anytime soon. But Is it? Is it live action? It's live action, yeah. Okay. I just in my head, I thought, oh, I'd better check. <laughs> but yes, the, the, the Japanese do have this love of the sort of greasy bikers, don't they? <laughs> Where's that bloody quiff look? Yeah. You know, it's all of... levers and, and that stupid quiff. I, I mean, I hate that. It's like that hairstyle Elv- just like, antagonizes me so much. It's like, what is if Elvis was in. Um, the world one that kind of look yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so yeah that's as i said that's on arrow player now with a whole bunch of fair winter films so you can go check it out there um or you can pick up the physical copy and help support your indie boutique label but no fair winter films have a great selection of uh, titles on their their catalog and definitely one worth checking out um Next up is a film that got recently added to our player as of today, as of as of recording, um, and it's uh, the independent debut of the director of Tokyo Go Please. Go on. Are you going to make say his name now? Butchering. Well, I don't know how it is. So you. Oh. <laughs> um, Yoshi Hiro Nishimura. Sounds good to me. There we go. Uh, basically, he's known as the Tom Savini of Japan. He's uh, not only a director, but he's also a special effects maestro as well. Um, I was actually surprised how many of films that this guy has worked on that I actually sort of was aware of because he was worked on Hell Driver, he did Tokyo Gore Police, he did uh, Segment for ABCs of Death, he was in Mutant Girl Squad, he did Effects for Meatball Machine, um, as well as um, Frankenstein. Is it? Frankenstein versus Dracula Girl, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. Yes, which I have seen. Uh, he also did the special effects for um, Suicide Club. He did. So he's responsible for giving us that wonderful subway sequence. I think he is. Yeah. So yeah, he. I. I now, now you've given some context. Yeah, I do know who Yoshi Yoshihiro Nishimura is. That was impressive pronunciation, wasn't it? Better um, me. I'm well, to be fair, to be fair, I, I kind of tricked her into into stumbling, so I just look better. But yeah, he's very much part of that. I don't know that rubbery, gory subgenre of um, Japanese cinema, which we haven't really explored yet. Um, things like Machine Girl. I mean, he wasn't part of that 
Oh, she was. She, uh, he did. Um, he did the special effects, didn't he? Yes, he did Girl. do uh, yes. special effects. Then, um, so. Tokyo Gore, please. Um, yeah, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girls a lot. You know, they're sort of. I don't know. They're 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 funny. <laughs> yeah, he, this uh, wave of splatterpunk or the uh, sushi typhoon movies uh, mm. that uh, that sort of came out, and I think Tokyo Gore Police was sort of like the one which really sort of got everyone's attention at the same time that this cluster of other movies came in for it. I said like Meatball Machine, uh, Machine Girl, uh, Robot Geisha. Mm. Uh, these sort of ultraviolet Japanese uh, flicks had like elements of body horror and cyberpunk in them. Kind of picked up in um in many ways of like where um the with like uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Mm. Uh, yeah, I I but I always think they've got like this sort of knowing wink wink stuff. They're not they're not gory and they are gory in a kind of rubbery way, but they all feel a bit sort of somehow cross with a Saturday morning show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I never feel grossed out by any of it. It's just funny to me. <laughs> yeah, they kind of... In many ways, they're kind of like uh, trauma movies, but a little more serious. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good... Less tongue-in-cheek, aren't they? A, a, a le- less tongue-in-cheek, but there's still a wink-wink, nudge-nudge going on. Yeah. You know, that don't take this too seriously. And I think, you know, there's some American-y type films that tried to do it i'm thinking about oh there's one with some strippers versus zombies it may even be called strippers versus zombies which is sort of trying well, to take the jameson in it uh, possibly yeah, yeah that's, and you got and, um yeah because you have strippers versus zombies and i want to say the follow-up the other one that was out was uh zombies 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 or something or something like that but they just never seem to have the charm of these japanese ones because i don't think I just don't think they quite get it. They sort of overreach in the wrong directions. And um, obviously, if you've got Jenna Jameson in a film, it's either going to be about boobies or vaccine denial. But, um... Hey, <laughs> hey. Um, but yeah, no, cool. So what was this one called? Sorry, this we're, one... we're taking you a long way away from where you started. That's fine, that's fine. This one's called Atomina Extinction. Cool. Really cool sounding name. Uh, this one runs a whopping 50 minutes. So, you know, you can watch this or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess. <laughs> I don't know where your t- where your, your time sort of management lies, but this one was very reminiscent of, like, Tetsuo the Iron Man. I would say it leads more towards, like, Tetsuo 2 Body Hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, you've got this salary man who witnesses a murder by this serial killer called The Engineer. And he finds out that uh, this guy is part of a group um, that are sent out to reduce the population of Japan. Um, at the same time, he injects him with... Uh... You got opinions, Marmite, on this? Has he injected your cat with... I don't know. Well, she's having <laughs> her own transformation over there. I don't know what's, what's going on with her, but... Uh, yeah, so basically, same with Tetsuo, who becomes infected with this sort of virus that uh, caused him to suffer all kinds of wonderful body mutifications um, as he sort of gets drawn into this underground cult of uh, killing people. Let's you draw comparisons to this real life experiment where they created a rat city. Um, they put these rats in and they gave them food and water and uh, basically just let them to their own devices. And the end result being that. 
the rat overpopulation caused a bunch of alpha rats to take all the female rats and form their own little city at the top of this uh, structure while they left all the beta rats to basically battle themselves out and cannibalize each other. And this is basically what insane Tokyo is turning into with the overpopulation that, and why they're reducing the numbers by committing all these horrible, horrible murders. Um, which is also just basically an excuse for some really cool looking sort of body horror. But yeah, it's a weird idea. It actually sh shuffles along um, for a 50 minute film. It does actually uh, never really sort of hit the same sort of pacing as like Tetsuo, which sort of hit us with those, you know, stark visuals as well as uh, giving us like lashings of weird body horror, um, which kind of makes it a bit of a shame. But as I said, it is a. Uh, available to check out on the arrow player so you can go check it out there but no there's some fun elements you can see where they're like drawing they're taking inspiration from things such as like uh they live where like subliminal messages are coming for the tv where they're giving points out uh for like different kills that you carry out like if you kill like infants it's worth more points than like sick and elderly people so it uh by the end it goes into this weird sort of like that sort of uh splatterpunk um style that's used to like haunt a like late night BBC two sort of thing you would stumble across or someone would like send you in look when you were trading tapes and with the note saying, Hey, look at this after you finish playing Carmageddon, that kind of era. It's very much, <laughs> it would, very much the same, but I think this would make an interesting uh, double feature. You pair this up with Tetsuo, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know if you really call it a short movie at 50 minutes, but uh, that's what a lot of people are branding it as. But it would go on to form the basis for what would become Tokyo Gore Police. Gotcha. So it was like the, the prototype. Yeah, it was kind of like a test run, but it, you know, back in 95. Mm. Um, but and again, where where did you find that? This is on Arrow Player. Arrow, Player. but you can no doubt find it. Mm. Like all short movies, it's no doubt on any number of platforms uh, out there. So it's probably on the YouTube. It or, probably is, or the Vivo, or one of those. But yeah, okay, cool. Sounds interesting. We do need to. Um, that's a sort of subgenre we haven't explored at all. I know I put Machine Girl on a very early yeah. version of our top top films. That's a film I really should bring to the show officially because I love it. Um, there was another really good one I saw like that that's got a name a bit like The Machine Girl. It's like Machine Gun Woman or something like that where the girl has a... It's, a, it's another woman, a, a wronged woman, and she basically has a shotgun sewn into her body or the elements thereof. Oh, right. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah. Similar, anyway, but, but but not that kind of silly lobster army. So, and oh, <laughs> I've got a soft spot for Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl as well. That's <laughs> it's stupid. We yeah, as I said, we need to really sort of try and bring some of these to the show and mm. uh, try and cover some some of them because I think it is as one of those huge genres that we haven't sort of tapped into, and I know mm. that certainly when. For this year's Halloween, we are going to be putting a vote up of uh, some obscure, interesting uh, horror films uh, for you guys to vote on as well. So we're going to be interested to see what we subject Stephen to this year. Yeah, 
great. Okay. <laughs> no, I like, I, I, it, it depends, right? I like horror movies, and I like, like I said, I like these ridiculous ones. It's it's just there is some pretty freaking dark stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, there's was it like that uh, Pinocchio one, which uh, seems to be doing the rounds at the minute, and things like junk or there's even. Mm. There's also like this warmth when you see these like uh, these older films, especially like the mid '90s ones, where they seem to be shot on very clear that sort of fuzzy VHS. Um, well, they're probably there. They're probably um, those director video films probably. that that um, Mike started out on. What do yeah. they call it? DTV? Oh, VCDs. No, 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 oh, no. DTV no. D- D- is director video. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a whole in, in Japan. There is a whole sub-genre sort of post-pink movies which were made a bit like films that go straight to airline you know <laughs> but they 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 go straight to video um and they're, they're designed that way and they were never meant to have theatrical releases and and it's where a lot of those directors like Mike got their opportunity to do whatever the fuck they wanted <laughs> and it was a real sort of hotbed of creativity which then led to that explosion internationally, which happened sort of in, at the end of the century, end of the millennium. Yeah, like um, Bio Zombie is another one I want to bring mm. to the show as well, um, which is lighter fare, but it still has that same sort of warm fuzziness to it. With the uh, that nobody's ever cleaned that film up. There's certain movies that have never been cleaned up. And but they probably weren't ever shot on films so that they can't be. You know, they they were shot straight to videotape or something like you say, and so you can't clean up a videotape. <laughs> but you, some of these things which are shot on film and you think never could get cleaned up do because they found the original film. But yeah, these things will just—they're probably someone probably had like a Canon home home video camera with a furry boom on it or something. Oh bless! But creativity is good, and that's you know, you'll you'll find people around dismayed that that creativity has disappeared from Japanese cinema completely and we just get these wonderful little one-offs like um what's the one about movie making they make a zombie film oh uh, one cut of the dead one cut of the dead um even beyond the infinite two minutes which we looked at the other week you know they're, they're very much outliers these days people just don't make films like that anymore in Japan sadly Anyway, there you go. That's a Debbie Down that for you. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, those have been my two things that I've seen, obviously, that keep in with our our chain of thought. Obviously, there have been other bits and pieces. I mean, Arrow at the moment are, as we speak, uploading every Puppet Master movie, one movie per day. Which... You're, certainly getting, you're certainly getting your Arrow player. Oh, Arrow you, player. Aren't you? Arrow player is just uh, the, the one subscription which sort of pays for itself each month when you you're excited it's like every month you have like the same things that you look forward to you look forward to the new beverly calendar you look forward to the release schedule for arrow player and they actually have bothered to actually talk to people mm. and like if you like netflix or shudder they just ignore you um well shut yeah i i watched a couple of shudder films and they're just so... They're like the lifestyle channel of horror. They just If you're in the these... UK, yes. Yeah, because we don't they... get half the catalogue. Yeah, it's just... 
I watched one called The Cellar. Okay. With um Oh, what was the girl that used to be in twenty four? She was Kim Bauer in twenty four. Oh yeah, um, I know the one you mean. Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah. yeah. And it had like a really good idea, but just really dragged its feet getting there. And then I watched another one that they did similar. So it was like this this could have been good. But it's just it's, yeah, it's like it's like watching a lifestyle channel Hallmark channel sort of movie, you know? But it's horror. Um but then Yeah, and we're then, really doing a disservice over here in the UK when it comes to Shadow and it's sort of like the only answer that you ever get if you get any is sort of like, Oh, it's a rights issue which means that we get like completely dicked on like when it comes to like mm. Joe Bob Bricks, where they have like a double feature in the States and we get nothing. <laughs> mm. We get one and it's really annoying because I love Joe Bob Briggs. Yeah, I was talking to some of the girls on another podcast I work on about this. That you know, they, they say, I don't understand why this film can't be well. It's rights and it's complicated, and yeah, basically, the older it gets, the more complicated it is. <laughs> distributors hate the UK, hence why we're still mm. waiting for the new Michelle Yeoh movie to come out. Oh, I think it's out now. I saw somebody went to see it at the IMAX last night. They really gone out of their way to advertise this fact to people, then, haven't they? Yeah. Well, I think they cocked it up, haven't they? Because I think, I mean, spoilers to, as to when we're recording this, but the new Marvel movie I think is out tonight. So I think it. I think they've timed it completely stupidly <laughs> because everyone's going to go and watch Doctor Strange, aren't they? Not this. Uh, I don't know. I think the MCU bub was kind of burst because all I've seen today on Twitter is just people complaining about the fact that now everything is MCU. Um, which is what happens when Disney get hold of anything. They run it into the ground. It's why I no longer care for but Star Wars. As long as people aren't, I think they are going to see it. That's all I've seen is people have gone to I'm see sure it and said how shit it is. I'm sure they are because the people <laughs> and that need does... that familiarity in their lives. Yeah, and then but that and then that just means that there won't be very many screens to show other interesting films on. I mean, I'm a Marvel zombie, don't get me wrong, but there's too much. I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind and... <sighs> It's getting in the way of watching other stuff. Marvel Zombies was the game of, game of one-upmanship that comic had with itself, of how stupid it could get. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they did but, do a comic of name. The Marvel Zombie, the concept Marvel Zombie existed before the comic book Marvel Zombies. Right. Um, yeah, which the, is the comic book that gave us Zombie Galactus. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that the zombies zombies can go throughout the universe, devouring and spreading the zombie plague. Another thing spawned by a little idea by Mark Miller that then Marvel ground into the <laughs> same as Marvel Apes, really, wasn't it? Oh well, it's it's worse than Marvel Apes, but yeah, there's another thing that they just these. Fun little ideas. I think all, I think DC and Marvel are both, and Image as well, are all very guilty of this. Yeah. Oh, this sold well. Let's just maximise it. Well, and... Yeah, but say that. I mean, Peace in the Peacemaker is still one of the best superhero series that we've had in a very it's... long time. And I haven't seen it. I haven't watched that or Hit Monkey yet. I haven't seen Hit Monkey, but uh, no, Peacemaker is was just phenomenal and you you watch and you realize oh this is why i like dc more because they have swearing and violence oh i don't yeah i i did enjoy um but they got james gunn who knows what he's doing i did enjoy the modok one oh modok was very good claymation well. one yeah that yeah, was excellent they let pat oswald do what he wanted with that didn't they so mm, that was really good but again that's it's not 
doing the usual superhero thing, which is just like a lot of bad acting and stilted action. Um, mm. and, and that's why I like Peacemaker. And it's also it's John Cena, who is just a more likable version of The Rock, really, isn't he? Now, The Rock is becoming... When I watch his movies, I, f- I find very a lot harder to get into than the John Cena ones. I don't think I've seen a lot of John Cena movies, to be honest with you, other than, other than The Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Um, I think... Oh, he, he is in... Is he not in the next Fast and Furious he film? He was in or? the last one, and he's that's in right, the yeah. next one that's coming up as well. And Where he's literally replacing The Rock. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because The Rock went just to make spin-off movies with Jason Statham, didn't Statham, he? So. yeah. Yeah. And now Vin Diesel was scared off the director. So oh, God. I don't know. Uh, so like what sway does Vin Diesel have? Is it just because he's been there the longest? I've never really understood how Vin Diesel obviously Vin Diesel was in Pitch Black, one of the greatest science fiction movies of the last twenty years. Okay. And he was in Triple X, which was a good yeah, if you're going to have a extreme sports based spy movie, it was action a good movie, action flick, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it bothered to put like Dario Argento, not Dario, um, Asia Argento in. Dario Argento as the sidekick would have been great. <laughs> um, so he's got those two on his on his cinematic CV, and then obviously he sort of leapt in, he sort of jumped into the Fast and Furious. But the, my point is, I don't understand why he's such a big star because he's only ever appeared in shit movies. <laughs> he was in Boiler Room. That was good. Yeah, actually, and he's of course he's the voice of the Iron Giant and the voice which, of Groot. Yeah, that was more of a joke. But the Iron Giant is a genuinely affecting film. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how he is. I, mean, I don't really understand how the Rock got so famous either. But I I get that the Rock's got some or Dwayne to give him his real name um, has got some genuine sort of screen charisma. Which, uh, I don't... Yeah, John Cena will get there. Should we go on to tonight's feature in them? Go on then, yeah, because that was just random. <laughs> okay, time to find the projector and we decided to look at tonight's feature presentation. 1995's Fallen Angels. Fallen Angels, released in 1995, is a romantic crime comedy drama film released by, written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, starring Leon Lay, Michelle Reese, uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro, Charlie Young, and Karen Mock. Uh, the film, much like Chunking Express, which was recorded was around the same year. I mean, when did he make Chunking Express? Well, yeah, they. I think he made Chunking Express the previous year. You know, in within living memory let's put it that way very very close to each other but what this was was i find different stories obviously filmmakers are great at recreating their rewriting their past aren't they sometimes so i was under the impression one of these stories was meant to be in chunking express and was dropped for budgetary reasons or that they were just trying to get it out there because remember Wong kong Wai makes some films in order to fund others um so Chunking Express was very much a sort of a quick and dirty thing. But 
I read something today which suggested he thinks, oh, no, no, all four stories are part of the same thing and it should be a three-hour-long movie. So I don't know. But, yes, it was made, I think, the following year. But Yes, it was because he did Ashes of Time in between. So, Well, basically, he was making money so he could make Ashes of Time. That's the... I've never been able to finish Ashes of Time. I've not been able to finish Ashes of Time Redux. I just get about halfway through and have no idea what's going on and just give up. So yeah, I've only I've only ever sense in redo redux however you say it but yeah it's I I have a I like most of what Wong Kar Wai's done and some of it I just find drivel. <laughs> It'd be helpful drivel. to know what the drivel is because I've seen very little Wong Kar Wai. Um, obviously I saw Chunking Express way back mm. in the other days of the show because I brought it as my cinema shame. Um, mm. I've obviously a big fan of uh, In the Mood for Love and it's followed twenty forty six. See, um, I don't like 2046, but I was thinking today I really need to go back and reappraise that because everyone's, I was reading all these things, they saying masterpiece, and I'm thinking, what did I miss? I think we need to do, in the move for love and 2046, a double feature, mm. because I have a feeling that we do one and never come back to the other the way that Indeed. the planning for this show goes. We're just often distracted by shiny things, so. We are, we are, we're like the magpie podcast, oh, look at that. <laughs> But but yeah, sorry. Your as to your question, yeah, it's 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 a sequel of sorts, um, and there are it does. There's a couple of moments in this where it's clearly, you know, there's a character who literally works in chunking mansions, and there's um, the diner is revisited. So it kind of exists, definitely exists in the same universe. But as with Chunking Express, this film is split into two stories that interlink. Uh, the first story follows a hitman named Wang Chi Ming, played by Leon Lei, who is uh, teamed up with a woman he just refers to as being his partner. The two never see each other, and we get to see lots of artistically flair moments as she basically tidies apartment in club wear and uh, keeps things uh, nice for him and sends his missions to him in really questionably drawn sketches that makes me wonder how he manages to get anything done at all. At the same time, he ends up meeting a woman during a late night meal at McDonald's called Blondie, who invites him to her apartment and she has these ideas that the pair were linked at some point in in the past and it leads to him sort of terminating his sort of partnership partnership with uh, his his partner. Um, at the same time, we have a second story where his partner lives in the same building as uh, this guy called uh, Hochi Mo, who's uh, played by Takashi Kanashiro, who's um, a delinquent who's also um, a mute, and he lives with his father and spends a lot of time basically harassing people in other people's businesses. He sort of like turns up and through his unique salesmanship which basically involves a lot of showing people flyers and just like harassing them constantly um beating them up you mean (laughs) (laughs) oh dear yeah sorry carry on (laughs) through the process of his unique business strategy he meets this girl called charlie who's essentially the manic pixie dream girl of this uh this film and she spends a lot of time basically taking advantage of his good ear by the fact um that he doesn't say much and she can just spend all the time crying on his shoulder about her ex-boyfriend Wait, he, can't, he, he can't talk he's mute because i know in which a, makes in him a, a great thr- listener 
in a throwback to although he can narrate <laughs> yes we hear his internal monologue <laughs> yes because in a throwback to chunking express he once ate some expired pineapple so therefore therefore giving a callback to takeshi kanashiro's character in um chunking express even though they're not the same person at all no um charlie's boyfriend however has also apparently left uh left her for this girl called Blondie and the two embark on this mad quest to try and track her down which essentially revolves around her harassing the residents of this apartment building while he carries a Molotov cocktail around (laughs) before randomly finding an inflatable sex doll which the pair beat up um, in one of the more sort of uh, unusual aspects of this story but um Soon after he's falls, after she disappears from him, he falls into this sort of filmmaking kick, uh, where he starts filming his father, which again is its whole other. Asks so many questions about uh, how he thinks said film is going to turn out when he's just constantly moving the damn camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's a home movie at best. <laughs> we see um, some of it, don't we? And but- as I said, these are our two two stories here that eventually come together for this uh, rather fitting finale that uh, that I thought was an enjoyable uh, enjoyable enjoyable piece. I mean what is it with you and these art house movies you keep bringing to the show? What do you mean I keep bringing? <laughs> I'm not the one who brought the insect one where we get to watch a woman beaten down three times in the same movie. <laughs> No, it's just it's just funny that you have chosen Chunking Express and this, and I didn't. I just, which, but although to be fair, I'd have bought both of them. I just, so, you know, you just have like films that that constantly reappear in the. You think you know, I need to cross these off, and mm. a great way to do it is by basically like sometimes just running at the problem, which is essentially <laughs> to bring it at the podcast. It's like uh, Homer and those um, the hospital doors where he just keeps like running back and forth and then just like eventually <laughs> goes ah just runs at them. That's basically what I do with these movies where I like put it off because I don't think I've got like the cinematic intelligence to understand them, and that by bringing them here that I throw myself at it or I got you to explain to me what the hell happened. Yeah, I'm really glad you bought this oh, one because glad. I think Fallen Angels gets a bit of a bad rep, right? Um, not because people dislike it, but because I just don't think it ever over in the West has ever really been given the, you know, w- people talk about In the Mood for Love and it gets in the top 10 films of all time. People talk about Chunking Express, you know, I'm as guilty as anybody of that because it's in the top 10 films of all time on critics list. You know, they are films that people absolutely adore. Um 2046 is another one you know i might not like it but people talk about it i'm just trying to think of his other films that um you know what i mean that the one car wife film comes oh grandmaster one people fucking love and i just think's crap but i don't think many people even know fallen angels exists even though it's it's got takashi kanashiro in it um, Charlie Young, you know, people who've been in other ones of his films, other ones of his films, other films of his. Um, it's cinematography by Chris Doyle. Um, yeah, just really weird. And I guess also, you know, maybe people focus on Happy Together, which, if I remember, 
Actually, is that the is that the is that the gay one? The LGBT one with Leslie Chung and Tony Long Jr. Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So they're the ones that people sort of gravitate towards. And I just always feel Four Angels always gets the, the 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 raw deal of it, and I think it's bloody marvelous. Um, I don't. It's not as in, with Chunking Express, if you remember, they were very separate stories that brush against each other in just a couple of moments. That, that, that Whereas these two stories are a little more interwoven. Um, obviously, Karen Mock's character is sort of appearing in both storylines, although she doesn't literally appear in one, but she is the blondie that, that Charlie Young is going nuts about. And there are little, like I said before, there are little... Um, crossovers with chunking express as well but yeah it, it, it's i don't know i think it's just uh the stories are also maybe a little more compelling um, i think I, I, maybe to an extent i mean obviously when we look at chunking express i think the second story was definitely the stronger of the two mm. stories though and i think we we when we looked at it before um that's sort of like what we came came to. I mean, obviously, when you look at Chunking Express, we've got Bridget Lin, um, the you know the Greta Garbo of Hong Kong cinema. So let's put her in a blonde wig, and I think her look in that film is so iconic that it's what keeps us interested in that first sort of story there. And and then we all go and fall in love with Fei Wong. Yeah, oh yeah, Fei Wong is the <laughs> Wong is the. I mean, she's the ultimate sort of manic pixie dream girl. She does basically mm. what Zooey Dachanel has basically spent a good portion of her career doing. Um, and we don't really have the same sort of character in this one. I would say that when we look at characters such as like Blondie and Charlie, the less of the manic pixie dream girl and just more the manic dream girl they're very shouty aren't they so so what we have we have these two girls that are very shouty and loud and one could say full of life or one might say that they are overcompensating for a lack of life <laughs> um and then of course you've got michelle reese's character who barely says a word although she narrates stuff um who's just I mean, she's really... I like Michelle Reese because we don't have many actresses from Macau, hence why she's got a Portuguese-sounding surname, although she has a Chinese name as well. But she she looks amazing, but she says very little in this film other than some, some narration. But I don't... You know, she's not as... In Chunking Express, the Bridget Lin character was a bit of a, a, bit of a cipher, and it was just exciting that it was Bridget Lin, and then, obviously, Fei Wong just does... Manic Pixie Dream Girl stuff. So the female yeah, characters really, in this film, um, we really yeah. got that. Uh, was it Mamas and Papas California Dreaming and that? Is it Dreams by the Cranberries just like rammed down our throat for like a yeah. good push in that movie? Well, the, the Fei Wong's version of it, I think, or of that song. But yes, absolutely. And there's music in this film as well. Um, oh yeah, we have the uh, Only You, isn't it? It does at the end. Only You by the Flying Pickets. Which is a, it's a weird choice. I'd rather have had Yazoo's version, but um, never mind. <laughs> no one ever liked any other song. Um, you know, put the B-52s in, because they're not a bad song for anything. Yeah, but I think it means, I think Only You is, it, the, the actual words of the song make sense 
in context of this. But yes, but then I think also the male characters, so Leon Lay's assassin. Um, I mean, Leon Lay is another actor that we've, I don't think we've had him in anything we've watched so far, even though he's one of the four heavenly kings of Canto Pop, you know, he's, um, that, that which is a bit weird. Um, but his character is very cool and again, doesn't say very much, does he? Other than in, in, in voiceover. And then we've got Takashi Kaneshiro, who obviously in Chunking Express, his character is morose and introspective. This guy's a nutter. And then <laughs> I, this is probably the one car Y film I have laughed most about. I, I thought his character. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I have questions. Like, we know he's an escaped prisoner. We don't know what he was put away for. I don't think he mentions why. And no one seems to be after him after his, the initial evasion of <laughs> no. of the police. Um, his dad doesn't seem too bothered that he's back. He's got this really weird reason for being mute. And I think you really underplayed it. He basically breaks in to businesses out of hours because his words are because they've already paid the rent. So it's just making use of the stuff. Mm. And he breaks into like a restaurant and massages a pig carcass at the beginning, and which is hilarious. He takes over an ice cream van and basically holds a poor man and his family hostage to eating ice cream. Um, the same man he, he gets in a, that poor bloke sort of stumbles across him three times, doesn't he, in the film? Um, the, the, at the barbers, um, it's just wonderful. It's just that kind of wonderful wacky thing and Kaneshiro is such a great comic actor and so rarely does comic acting um but it's it's completely tonally different to this dark story of a of an assassin and his handler who are desperately trying not to meet each other and fall in love and then bad shit goes down at the end I, again I don't know where we want what we would do with spoilers today but it's just totally different. However, because it's all working in the same world and because it's got this visual style, I guess we might talk about it. It's filmed in a very unusual way, but it just ties everything together. Mm. Um, and it doesn't feel like, you know, a bit Chunking Express can feel a bit like just two short films stitched together. Whereas this felt like, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's characters, but they are, sort of appearing in each other's stories albeit peripherally and it's felt a more co- it feels like a more cohesive film anyway that's my treatise on it <laughs> yeah i mean certainly with this this story i mean to both stories i think stand on their own merits and i think that was the point we always had with chunky express is the fact that one story was certainly stronger than the other and i think with this one you have two strong stories they're very tonally different uh certainly leon lay's hitman story goes in the interesting direction i mean obviously we get those john woo-esque moments where he's welding twin pistols and shooting up triads and um carrying out hits in restaurants it's all very cool and then we have like the weird romantic uh moments that he has with blondie where she's he's in the mcdonald's and she like uh pulls up behind him and sort of like oh do you mind if i sit here and he's just like the camera pans around it's like completely empty by them um and just the sort of relationship that they have is just very interesting to watch much like the fact that you get to see michelle reese as we mentioned already she's uh tidying his apartment in club gear it's very it's very ghibli-esque the cute girls having to tidy things 
But yeah, I was again. That's what um Fei Wong does in the in the previous film, doesn't she? It's interesting. Wong Kar Wai's got a thing for ladies cleaning stuff. I he think. has tidying up. Same as um, Miyazaki also has that same trait. <laughs> look at his films, like when you look at um, My Neighbor Totoro or Spirited Away or Kiki's Delivery Service. They all feature young girls having to clean things. Yeah, they've they've obviously got issues. I have to say, I thought Karen Mock, I'd forgotten she was in it. It's a long, I probably haven't seen it for 10 years. And I'd forgotten Karen Mock was in it. And I I don't really equate Karen Mock with kind of these kind of films or art housey films. I think she's, to my mind, she's 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 in a lot of crowd pleasing movies. You know, she's in Stephen, she's in The God of Cookery, isn't she, when she gets shot in the face. and she's in sort of, you know, she's in a number of action films, but they're very much crowd pleasers. Um, and I just thought she was remarkable in this, and and uh, yeah, and the blonde wig was amazing. You know, I just thought she looked great in, in a in a terribly sexist way. She looked great in a blonde wig, um, but she just she was just crazy and loud, but not overbearing. Um, whereas I found Charlie Young a little less. You didn't like Charlie I, I, Young? I liked Charlie Young. I, but I, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to describe her hair because it's kind of like ah, well, that so same it's dreadlock look that um, Antonia Jolie has in Gone in 60 Seconds. She does. So, obviously, I don't know if you understood why she had dreadlock hair. No, I didn't understand. Okay, so, so do you remember they... And the subtitles get this wrong, but she tells a story or he... Or... or, or Kanashiro tells the story of her story of when her and her boyfriend Johnny went to watch some Hong Kong football team play Sampdoria. Yes. And she wanted to see Rude Hullet. So if you know who Rude Hullet is, who was a sort of 90s Dutch superstar, um, one of the these three Dutch players who played in Italian football along with Frank Rijkaard and um, Marco van Basten. And Rude Hullet, he was in up being manager of Chelsea and all sorts of other things. But he has, he's a of Sumnese, um descent, but plays for Holland and is very was very famous for his dreadlocks. So she basically has the dreadlocks because she loves Rude Hullet. They're not like traditional sort of like Afro dreadlocks. These are just more like gel yeah. twists, aren't they? they? They they are because obviously she's Chinese. She can't grow dreadlocks. <laughs> it's not. Trust it's me, not... the amount of bad hippie dreadlocks we see around here, I wouldn't say put it past who can grow no. dreadlocks. No, I, I don't think the Asian hair can do the dreadlock thing. Ask him. Yeah, well, I'll, yeah, I'll, we'll find out. But anyway, that's why that's why she's got it, and and I thought, oh, that's a bit of a deep dive. I wonder if Elwood's going to get that. <laughs> 90, no, because I don't. Nineties Italian football reference. Oh that's my a bit. God. <laughs> You're the one who watched football Italia, weren't you, on Channel Four on Saturday oh, mornings? Oh, that's all. James Richardson. He's still a. He's still, I'm still a fan. Macarazzo. Gaza. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's when Channel 4 got the football and Gaza went... Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, Channel it's 4, absu- that, and Transworld Sports. <laughs> it's absolutely that era, though. So you're spot on with the with the timing. It's absolutely that sort of late 80s, early 90s thing. So, yeah. I also watched Kabaddi. Does that make me a bad person? <laughs> so, yeah, the romantic angles in this are all very interesting very fun um as i said the fact that it's blending different genres together is also worked really well and certainly these two stories both stand on their own 
merits, even though it's a very sudden switch. There's no like title card to say, and now story two, um, or anything like that. So, no, and I think there's also there's some time shifting as well, isn't there? Which isn't in in um, Chunking Express. Everything's quite linear, yeah. Or oh yeah, you got the same time. Yeah, one story, and the only problem with Chunking Express is the fact that you have two characters named Cop. With yeah. <laughs> so it gets a little confusing. Well, in this one, we have Prisoner Number, don't we? So you know they, they keep they keep it going. But no, I think there are a couple of scenes which we see. Which are actually sort of like now, and then the film catches up to now. Was it what do they call it in media res? Isn't it? That's the posh film, film critic term for it. Um, so like when the 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 shaving, the when um, Kanashira's character is is shaving the guy, that actually we see that again later. So we've seen that out of sync, and we see something else out of sync as well. I'm saying that I'm just remembered. Obviously, that even the um, I think this is a very funny film because I just remembered even in the um, Leon Lay's um, storyline as the assassin when he gets the, gets the bus back and some old school friend comes up. Oh my god, that's it's <laughs> that's, like uh, you reminded the God we're watching nineties cinema, can't you? Because you can't uh, you can't describe women the way he does. <laughs> well, we're watching Hong Kong cinema. Well, you just watch any '90s cinema, you could get away with a lot more. And I remembered because obviously Tarantino's a big fan of uh, Chunking Express, a big fan of Walking yeah. Wild films because like Days of Being Wild uh, was like the film which grabbed him. And then he saw Chunking Express and loved it so much he put it out on Rolling Thunder Pictures, and he talked very highly of Fallen Angels, but. watching this and especially because if you don't watch the Criterion one because this is what I would mean to get to earlier when we talked about how well you can clean up VHS Mm. um, because this film looks absolutely stunning on the Criterion release so you you've watched it on some streaming service right yes I've watched it I've watched uh, the stream which I believe I believe was uh, the Criterion one because it was very clean footage compared to the first one I started watching which was uh had that wonderful uh, fuzziness to it. So I, yeah, so I, I watch. I've got a Blu-ray, but it's not the you got the latest original. Blu-ray. I've got the original Blu-ray, so it looks fine. It, look, it looks good actually. But the Criterion one, obviously, one car wise had his little sticky fingers on it, and he's changed some stuff around. So there may be things we've seen slightly differently. And I'm wondering if the subtitles were more open than my subtitles work. <laughs> That's um because there's just yeah. this bit there's this bit on the bus basically he's he's just done a hit and this bloke on the bus comes up to him and says hey hey i'm your old school friend i'm only on the bus because my mercedes is broken down and just <laughs> again just words i find hilarious uh, out of sheer envy if nothing else um and then and this is i'm the best um oh, what is it insurance sales blah 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 are you married? What about you? And he shows up and his look on his face. Is, oh, you've married a black woman. Oh, well, they're really good, aren't they? And oh, and here's your picture of your kid. Anyway, the, he leaves and then he says in the, in the voiceover, Leon, he says, yeah, I paid this woman 30 pounds, 30 dollars, 30 Hong Kong dollars, which isn't a lot of money. It's about five pounds. <laughs> posing a photograph with me and the kid, I just took a photo. I bought him an ice cream. <laughs> And that's his whole backstory. He's just done this thing, and of course, it's there's this, there is a horrible truth to this that 
because he's because they people think he's married a black woman they don't want to know him anymore and it's a horrible thing but it's also just genius and it talks to the time and i don't know how the subtitles went in the version that you watched um well he certainly called a derogatory thing when describing her ethnicity ah um, so 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 on, on my blue they, he just calls her a black lady oh no 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 he's very does he go does he he's go full django unchained we say he's very southern in his uh, uh his explanation interesting but that but it, funnily enough your one would make more sense as to why this is a genius piece of cover-up by him. But yeah, that was a it, it's it's nineties. It's Hong Kong. They don't have many black people there, and therefore they are not as educated. They have a lot of Indian people who get shot up in their own restaurants, though, in one car away. Films. <laughs> if you think about it, <laughs> I guess Chunking Mansions has a lot of. Uh, people from the subcontinent working there i guess that's why anyway um yeah no i just i think there's humor all throughout the film it is way funnier but it's also dark and sad and you know you get to watch michelle reese masturbate for a good seven minutes on <laughs> the thought it's of just it stumbling into logan's run territory again isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, I really like, even when you don't, because the thing with Chunking Express is very sort of bound by the romantic connections of its two mm. two uh, cops. And when you look at this one, even when these characters aren't with the person that they're sort of initially connected to, be it um, the killer and his agent, or we look at uh, Kanashiro and... and um, Charlie. Charlie. I mean, his connect the moments where he's like filming his father are just as equally as interesting as mm. as bad as they are. Like he's teaching them how to like cook a steak, and he has this moment where he's trying to film, film where he's going to bed. He's like, "No, go away!" And he breaks into his father's room and he films them sleeping together, which was kind of touching. And later, his like father watches this cut of the film, and he's he's just sitting there smoking cigarettes and he seems like moved and I like the little details that the narration tells us the fact that his mm. father is he's uh, he speaks Cantonese but with a Russian accent because his mother was uh, Russian so oh and there's the horrible bit like the reason he's taken over the ice cream truck I like ice cream but my dad would never buy me any it was only later I found out it's because my mum got run over by an ice cream truck now I don't even know if that's true and that's just something his dad said so he doesn't have ice cream but it's it's everything's got a story related to it everything that happens in this film someone's got a story which has led us to this point you know uh, and and there's sexy stuff and funny stuff and it's really touching it's stuff. Like, it's the quirky thing, like the same way as that when he's trying to find the uh, the tin of pineapples that goes out of date on the same date as his uh, mm. relationship broke down. It's these quirky little details that sort of tie the two films together. Oh um, gosh, yes, gosh, yes. Um, oh, oh, and and then at the end, Charlie. What does Charlie do? What does Charlie become? That Fei Wong's character became. They both become a stewardess because apparently in Wong Kar Wai's head, if a woman isn't cleaning, she's going to leave Hong Kong by being a, a, an air stewardess. <laughs> well, we also uh, get that that weird moment of uh, of Kanashiro where he's in his restaurant and he's there like 
acting up for the young cop in front of her and she's just ignoring him. And mm. then her boyfriend turns up and he's like, what's that guy's problem? <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, like, pretending to be stabbed on the ice cream counter behind them. And it was like, I was watching, I was like, just thinking, it's like, what's the weight an ice cream counter can really take on top of it? So, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's... um. I don't know, okay, sort of drawing it back, I just think this film is, it's not an undiscovered gem. People know about it, but I just don't mm. think it gets the credit it deserves because I think it's hugely entertaining and you don't need to have watched Chunking Express to get anything out of it. No, I think I think more people really started talking about Fallen Angels when the Criterion set, the seven movies of uh, Wonka Wire came out. Because uh, everywhere I looked, they had that uh, sort of iconic shot of uh, of the pair on the motorcycle. Obviously, harking back to moment of romance, because that's that's the iconic scene. Yep. Or but also of romance too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. But yeah, <laughs> they're both on and, motorcycles. <laughs> but we've also got the the other thing I just wanted to bring up is that obviously this is Christopher Doyle, master cinematographer, just. Everything he touches looks amazing. Um, obviously, long-time collaborator with Wong Kar Wai. But this one has this thing, and I had, I, again, I had to... I'd noticed it looks strange or unusual, and what apparently he did was they filmed everything with wide-view wide lenses, but up close. So that's... But every, every scene is shot like... So there's this continuity of how things are, but there's a real... You're up in everybody's face, or you're really close. Everything's really cramped, but there's a cinematic breadth to it as well. It's hard to explain, but it it's not like disconcerting. It's not like wearing varifocal lenses or something like that. But it's got this visual style that I don't think I've ever seen a movie do. Certainly not an Asian movie do anything like that. And has the balls to stick with it from frame one to frame the end. Um, so it even looks different to Chunking Express, although he does do that thing where he loves a bit of slow mo, doesn't he? Especially in a shootout. <laughs> it's a weird slow mo, though, isn't it? It's not. It is. It's like um. It's kind of jerky. It's um. It's like frame skippy, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's it's like um. Yeah, it's all it's all, it's all done at the wrong frame rate, but there's only like two frames a second going on or something like that rather than it all being slowed down it's very strange it obviously was shot with a with a i don't know it wasn't done with a fast camera and then just slowed down it it must have been deliberately edited to be slow-mo i think that's what it's what's happened i mean i'm just looking at what else christopher Dole has done in his filmography and it's a real surprising uh career moves here he did psycho with gus van sant he also did dumplings with fruit chan as well as lady in the water um, and he also did Paranoid Park as well for Gus Van Sant and Limits of Control for Jamush. So, oh, he—I mean, he has worked up and down, east and west. Um, he's—he's he's by all accounts a mad alcoholic Australian. Um, have you ever seen Underwater Love? No, I haven't. Ah, okay, that might be a film I might bring to. He's also worked with um, in Japan. Yeah, he's worked in Japan, in Hong Kong, in in Hollywood, um, with 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 the best. Um, he also um, was DOP'd on a 
couple of films from your favourite person, Mark Cousins, but let's not talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, and, you, and, you and David, uh, David Brooke love Mark Cousins. <laughs> I just saw, I just know. Just love like... being told what's on the screen. I know it's a, a trigger point, but... Um... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not biting uh... I mean, as I said, we can all talk about... When it comes to the movie drone, we know who it started and who it ended with. Mm. Um, but but yes, he's he's. Just Mark like Cousins one... directed movie as good as Repo Man? No. <laughs> Does he direct movies better than lots of other? Anyway, let's not go there. Um, the point is, he is a remarkable director of photography, and it was also one of those ones where you recognise his style. And maybe it's because I know him through one car Y. But I, I, as a film I watched a few months ago, the Tezuka's Barbara, he was the um, DOP on that. And, you know, that raised the film up. So, yeah. But it's just, we don't often talk about the visuals other than sort of scenes and things. It's got this consistent style to it. Everybody must go and watch Falling Angels now. <laughs> That's what I demand. Are you glad you chose it, though? Yeah, I'm definitely glad I chose it. It's certainly a film that you have to watch to give your attention to. You can't sort of be watching this one casually. And I think mm. it just sort of benefits more from actually having your attention. Um, mainly because there's a lot of interesting things going on in this movie. And as sometimes it doesn't always make the most sense, but it sort of manages to find its way back to uh, some centre line throughout it. I think... I think- you might get more out of it of the second watch. Not like now, but I think if you come back to it in a year's time, I think you'll get more out of it because you'll be noticing the connections between characters and things like that. I mean, oh God, there's another... Sorry, one other moment is, obviously, Charlie's after this girl called Blondie, who she says has stolen her boyfriend. Of Karen Mock's character's called Blondie. We're never too sure if it's the same person that she's after. <laughs> And she goes nuts in that restaurant, and they have like an ice Spartacus moment. Look, I'm called Blondie. I'm called Blondie. <laughs> oh, and you've also wanted me once. So now I'm hoping the Criterion Collection gets a price cut at some point because I'm interested now to see what it's like with modern subtitles, not just because of the racial epithets that you've brought up, but I imagine that there's a couple of sequences on my DVD where it's not sub. They don't translate anything. You sort of have to work out what they're saying. So it would be nice to see it a little more complete and whether there's been any um, jiggery-pokery with scenes and things like that. But there we go. Yes, Crank. good film. Um, so that was obviously Four Angels in 1995. Um, go check it out. Hunt down, hunt down a copy. It's one that's definitely worth ch- checking out, whether you've seen Chunking Express or not. Uh, one could why still remains a director that um i wish i liked to liked more but um i did even watching this it didn't sort of like make me think oh i'm gonna rush out and watch like all the other ones that i haven't seen um so I mean, he's only ma- he's only made about 10 films it's not hard i know <laughs> it's but not, it's all like it's, it's all like normally when you get hooked and you get into a director you're like oh i want to see what else there is it's yeah like, no I, I get what you mean but um you, you're not you're not gonna have a one car wine month no you i could, don't you could maybe do a week <laughs> but um, I wouldn't say this is the last time that we are going to be covering his films oh, on the no. show. Oh no! So keep an eye out for that. Um, 
But, Stephen, it is obviously your turn to choose what we do next. What would you like to look at? What I would like to bring to the show is 1964 Japanese film noir Pale Flower. So it's uh, you know, it's another Japanese um, gangster film for us. Because I'm hoping we're going to have a, be able to bring a special guest on. So thank you for, as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Come say hi to us there. And also check out our sponsor, yespleasevintage.com. But as always, thank you for uh, listening and make sure you join us uh, next time. We'll be having another delightful romp into the weirdness of Japanese cinema, no doubt. So You can also check out our full archive episodes over on our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, which not only has all our episodes available for you to use to listen at your pleasure, we also have the Battle Royale podcast where we broke down Battle Royale which one DVD chapter at a time we also have all the coverage from both Anthony Wong month and Takashi Miike month um, as well as we got the film vote, the anime vote, we got the Dark Celebration Cinema, there's a host of stuff over there so make sure you go check that out as well but until next time, thank you for listening thanks to my co-host Stephen pleasure as always and we'll be back to speak to talk about more Asian cinema very soon until then, good night. Hey! 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 This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.